All right, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 14 this morning. Today marks my 40th year of ministry in the gospel. And my, how the world has changed in those 40 years. And the biggest way it's changed, I think, is it's movement away from what is true, what is real, what is genuine. If you were to walk up to a person on the street today and ask him or her this question, what is truth, what kind of a response do you think that you would receive? I think it would depend on the perspective of the person. Many people today would say, well, truth is what you make it. Truth is your own reality, whatever you want it to be. A radical might say, well, Black Lives Matter is truth, or Antifa is truth, or critical race theory is truth, or communism is truth. A religious person would answer corresponding to their belief system. Well, the way of Buddha is true. The way of Allah is truth. Uh, the way of the Mormon church is truth. The way of the Roman Catholic church is truth. The problem is, if they don't all say the same thing, they can't all be true. And that's why people today uh, have a relative idea of truth rather than an absolute idea of truth. And all these are expressions of what people may or may not believe is true, but how do you really tell? They may try to convince you that what they believe is the truth, and you need to believe it as well. But what is the standard of truth? What is its foundation? If a person's concerned about what life is really all about, what truth really is, they must turn to the Word of God. As Paul said in Romans 3, Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. We're living in a time similar to that of Isaiah as we read earlier in chapter 59 of his book. A time when truth has fallen in the street and equity cannot enter, so truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. We believe the truth, We are walking in the truth if we know Christ is our Savior, yet today we are the evil ones. We're living in a day when people think it's a good thing, it's okay to take the life of the unborn. That a man can identify as a woman, a woman can identify as a man, and that's fine, that's your truth, live with it. Where couples of the same sex can be married. When you cannot trust the word of the highest officials of the land. Where human laws and political correctness, humanism, hedonism, all the other kind of isms there are in the world fly in the face of God and his word. And all this has to do with what is really true. Truth versus falsehood, reality versus unreality, fiction versus fact, God versus the wiles of the devil. It all comes down 
to the proper perspective of truth. So to come before the Lord's table today, we're going to be reminded again of who Jesus Christ is. He is the truth of God. As he said in chapter 14 of John's gospel, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If ever our country has needed to hear this truth, it certainly is now. Let's ask God's blessing on his word today. Heavenly Father, we come before you realizing that you are the true God, the only God, and you are to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Lord, we live in a time, and really this has been true almost from the beginning, where men try to make their own truth, they reject your truth, they hold it down, they don't want to accept it, and so they have to improvise their own ways of truth. Yet, Lord, we know that all these things are false, they're not real, that truth comes from you, and as we look to your word today and we see this, may we be encouraged that although we can hardly believe anything that's uh, proclaimed to us in the media, we can always go to your word and rely on it and know that it's true, and it will guide us in the way of truth. So bless your word today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing I want you to understand this morning or be reminded of is that truth is intrinsic to the nature of God. Truth is absolute, no matter what men may try to say today, and it's an attribute of God's divine nature. Nearly 30 years ago, George Barna conducted a poll, and in that poll, an estimated 74% of Americans strongly agree there is only one true God who is holy and perfect and who created the world and rules it today. Now, that was 30 years ago. I don't know what the percentage would be today, but not that much. So here we have a group of people, three-quarters of those who are polled, saying there's one true God, he's holy and he's perfect, and he created the world and he rules it today. But listen to this. An estimated 65% either strongly agree or somewhat agree with the assertion that there is no such thing as absolute truth. So how can you believe that there is a God who is holy and perfect and created the world, and yet there's no absolute truth in the world? That is an absolute truth. So if you believe in an absolutely holy and perfect God, how can you believe that absolute truth does not reside in him and that what comes from him would also have to be true or he could not be God? Now, let's take a look at just a few verses of Scripture that point out the truth that God the Father is truth. He is true. And we're not going to belabor the point. And we're not going to turn to all these scriptures, but if you want to jot them down, look at them later, I'll give you the references. Exodus 34, verse 6. Do you remember when Moses asked the Lord if he could see him? Well, you can't see God in his fullness and live. 
But God did pass by him, and he revealed himself through his attributes. And this is what he, compl- uh, he proclaimed to Moses. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. So he revealed himself to Moses in these different ways. These are attributes of God, aspects of his eternal nature and holiness. Then in Deuteronomy 32.4, Psalm 31.5, and Isaiah 65.16, he is called, guess what? The God of truth. He is a God of truth. If there is a God, and that God it does not consist of truth, then he's not a God. It has to be intrinsic to his nature. And that only makes sense because God is eternal. He is the creator of all things, whether those things be physical, moral, or eternal in nature. He's, a, he's creator of what is real, what is factual in time and space. And he exists in perfection of all that's holy and good and righteous and true. And man cannot devise anything true aside from the nature of God himself and what God reveals. That's where truth resides. So if you reject God, guess what you're rejecting? You're rejecting truth. Now, if... God is true, that means God the Spirit, God the Son have to be true, because they are God. Now we're going to wait a little later to look at the Lord Jesus, but again, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He has to have the same attributes of God, or he cannot be God. So we see this in the writings of John also. And in the Lord's final discourse, before he went to the cross of Calvary, he's in the upper room, he's teaching his disciples. And in that discourse, if you read through John 14, 15, and 16, you'll find three times at least that the Lord Jesus alludes to the spirit of truth. He believed the Holy Spirit was truth. In John's first epistle, chapter 5 and verse 6, he writes, And it is the Spirit who bears witness, a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Spirit is truth. He bears witness to Christ and the gospel. All right, so these few references allude to God as truth. Of course, there's many more that point to that. But what does truth mean in relationship to God? Now, we're going to read um, an English dictionary definition because our Bible is in the English language. And this is how it goes from Webster's Dictionary. The first explanation says that truth is the body of real things, events, and facts, or actuality. Then it also is the state of being the case, of a state of being true, which is a fact. So it's real, it's actual, it's factual. And then interestingly, they put this in there. A transcendent, fundamental, or spiritual reality. For instance, now this is my addition, 
the existence of God is a spiritual reality, whether people accept it or believe it or not, because we find it in the word of God. Uh, He goes on to add the idea of fidelity or faithfulness to an original or to a standard. Uh, And our standard, of course, is the word of God. The word of God is faithful, it's true, it's factual. Now, the biblical concept of truth includes these ideas, but not limited to them. The Bible has a much broader sense of truth. It encompasses much more than merely being real or factual. So let's look here at at truth being related to who God is, to what God is. Now, in the Old Testament, the word that's translated truth is emet, and we find it 127 times. But do you know that it's not translated truth most of the times? It's actually translated faithfulness. And it does mean truth is opposed to falsehood, and reality is opposed to mere appearance. But it's often translated faithfulness, which includes a number of concepts like reliability, trustworthiness, firmness, stability. You look at the world today, and who uh, can you listen to that you believe is totally reliable, totally trustworthy? Well, nobody really, because we're human beings. But this is a quality of God associated with his truth. You can depend upon him. You can trust him. He's reliable. Um, uh, One scholar wrote this. Truth is that which is constant and unchangeable. So that's in in the uh, definition as well. Something on which someone can rely, which will prove to be true in the future. Not just now, in the future. Now, we've all heard of the theory of evolution which is taught as fact in our schools. It's not a fact, it's a theory. How do we know that it's not a fact? Because about every year it changes. You've got to add something, you've got to detract something. We found this is not true, and so we have, to, we have to change it a little bit. We have to tweak it. Because, you see, we reject the idea of a creator God, so we've got to come up with something else. And so in the future, what we believe now is probably going to be proven to be wrong. So it's not true. It's false. Okay. Uh, so we've, we've been studying Genesis Sunday mornings. And what, we, what have we found in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, uh, that God always keeps his word. He's reliable. He's faithful. We can depend upon him. Uh, He will never let us down. All this is because he is the truth. Now, we come to the New Testament. We have the term aletheia, uh, which means that which is not hidden or it's not concealed. So that brings out the idea that God has not kept himself hidden. He has revealed himself and the truth associated with himself. uh, And again, that can be believed and trusted. So it stands to reason then 
that the only way human beings can know anything about what is actual, factual, true, real, dependable, is associated with God. So you have to have God somewhere in the equation. If you don't know God or what God has revealed, then you really can't know truth. And you'll be duped by the devil all the time. Now, how then has God made his truth known to us? Well, he's done that through revelation. He's done that through uh, his word, which is the inspired word, the written word, but also through the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. So we have the word of God written. We have the word of God incarnate. So let's take you through here. Uh, look here at the inspired word of God. It is true. If it's breathed out by God, who is truth, then it's got to be true. If it's false in any way, then uh, then God is not true. The two things have to go together. So uh, God is truth. The foundation of truth, and that truth has been shown to us through His written word. And let's take a look here at a couple things, again, that are mentioned, which are just a few out of many. We go all the way back to Genesis. Here we are, back to the beginning. In Genesis 32, we have the first mention of truth. And we have it as truth revealed to Jacob. As Jacob was about to go to meet his brother Esau, he was a little concerned about the outcome. And he talked to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord. And this is what he said. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. So even Jacob, so many thousands of years ago, had received truth from God. God revealed it to him. Now, we come to the New Testament times, and the truth of God's word is even made more clear to us. When Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer, do you remember one of the things he said? He prayed to the Lord about his disciples that he would sanctify them in your truth, and then he said, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Jesus believed the word of God is true. Paul exhorted Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth. In his letter to the Ephesians, he combines Jesus, the word, and the gospel together as truth. He wrote there, In him you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So you trusted in Jesus, you heard the word of truth, and that truth is the gospel of salvation. Similarly, he wrote to the Colossians, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. So very clearly, and this is just a few references, the word of God written that we have in our hands today is the truth. Now, let's go on then to the Lord Jesus himself, the incarnate word of God, or God who became flesh and revealed God to us in a personal way. Jesus Christ is truth. 
And truth is a very important concept in John's writings. It occurs in its noun form 25 times in the gospel, 20 more times in his epistles, and the adjective forms occur another 23 times. So that's uh, 68 if I count right. Now, according to one commentator, the basic meaning of truth in John is God's reality, which, since God's the creator, is the only true reality. So he's writing about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true reality that so many people reject today. Now, we read earlier, John 14, 6, Jesus' statement, I am the way the truth, and the light. So this really is a claim uh, associated with his deity. And it means that as God in flesh, he's faithful, he's reliable, he's able to be depended upon when he, uh, what he says and what he does, these things are always true. Years ago, uh, I remember uh, teaching, uh, student teaching at the local high school, and a couple of boys before uh, class began were going back and forth, and one of them asked the other, because I think they were, they were on uh, study of religions, and he asked them what he thought about Jesus if he was God. <clears throat> and the boy, one other boy said, no, he was, a, he was a good man, he taught good things, but he wasn't God. Okay, so why would a good man lie? Why would a good man accept worship of God? Why would a good man uh, receive uh, uh, the accolades that Jesus did? If he was not God, then he was not good. And the whole idea there is is wrong. He he was either a liar or a lunatic. Now, Jesus says he is the truth, not a truth, not a piece of truth, like the illustration. Once the devil was walking along with one of his compatriots, and they saw ahead of them a man pick up a silver object, shiny object. And uh, uh, his companion said, well, what did that guy find? And the devil says, well, he found a piece of the truth. And uh, uh, the other demon said, doesn't it bother you that he found a piece of truth? And the devil said, no, I'll see to it that he makes a religion out of it. You see, that's what most religions are today. They take a piece, a little piece of truth, and then they make a whole man-made system out of it because they don't have the whole truth, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in John's introduction to his gospel, let's go back to chapter 1. He cites that Jesus is the word that became flesh and that he was full of grace and truth. Look at verse 14, chapter 1. Now, we don't have to explain. We know that when it says the word here, we know that was Jesus. And the Word, so he is the, he is the incarnate Word of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, 
the glory of the only begotten of the Father. What's he full of? He's full of grace and he's full of truth. So the truth of God is within the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And then verse 16, And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, he has shown him. Okay, so those who beheld the Lord Jesus saw the glory of God in him and that he was the embodiment of God's grace and God's truth. Now, the law came through Moses, which was necessary to show man their sin and the fact that we're incapable of keeping it perfectly. The law was our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. But grace, God's unmerited favor, undeserved favor, comes to us through the Lord Jesus. But what's John talking about when he says he's full of truth? The truth is bound in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, which is the gospel. Now we can go back to the Old Testament, and we find there that 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 uh, uh, bit of the gospel, the first mention of the gospel is way back in Genesis chapter 3.15. And that's where the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent and that's uh, going to unfold one day with Christ going to the cross of Calvary. And progressively, more and more information is given about this Messiah figure, the seed of the woman, until Christ comes. And in the New Testament, uh, it's revealed that Jesus is the promised one who who came to proclaim the truth about himself and the redemptive plan of God and actually uh, bring it into full existence. Now, the truth was revealed in the life and works of the Lord Jesus. So what were some of the things included in that testimony of truth? Well, that Jesus came down from heaven. He was sent by God to bear witness to the truth of salvation. John points that out in many places through the sayings of Jesus. That Jesus perfectly obeyed the commandments of God and came to do his will, which ultimately was go to the cross and provide the way of our salvation. That he performed miracles and signs and wonders and he taught the truth of scripture in such a way that people should recognize him as the promised Messiah. And of course that he must die on the cross, be raised the third day as the ransom for our sins. He also taught he was coming again in power and great glory to judge the world and establish his earthly kingdom. So all these were true. They are true. They always will be true, no matter what man's response to them may be. These are uh, the real, factual, dependable, unchanging aspects of truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn with me, if you will, back to John 18. In his last conversation with Pilate, Jesus continued to bear testimony to the truth. 
And in chapter 18, he's in a conversation with Pilate. In verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Now, of course, he's not thinking in spiritual terms at all. He's, speaking, he's thinking literally. Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Now, Jesus had formerly said his kingdom was not of this world, so it wasn't in the same sense that Pilate might be thinking of it. And he was a king in that sense, and he came to bear witness to this truth among many others. And he says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Well, Pilate's response shows that he wasn't hearing Christ's voice. He wasn't a believer because this is his cynical response in verse 38. What is truth? And people may or may not ask that question today. Uh, But he verbalizes the same cynicism toward truth that we have in our age today. And Jesus as you'll note there, does not answer that question verbally. But as the day proceeds, Jesus will act out what is true when he goes to the cross of Calvary. The truth of what he taught and what he lived was fulfilled in his crucifixion and his resurrection, and in that act, his life was substituted for ours. Our sins were placed upon him and judged once for all, and all who placed their faith in him and believed the truth of what he did will be saved. Now, this brings us then to the impact of the truth of the gospel upon the world. And there are two responses to the truth that are very clear in Scripture. First of all, Christ must be believed. That's how you avail yourself of the truth. And then, once believed, that truth must be lived out in your life. So first of all, Christ, the truth, must be believed. Now, if you have studied the Gospel of John, you know this is another favorite term. The verb form occurs 95 times in the gospel. So let's look at one occasion where truth and belief come into play in John chapter 8. Now we looked at this a number of months ago when uh, we're looking at uh, Jesus as the great I am. But let's uh, just briefly be reminded of what's going on here. In John chapter 8, Um, beginning in verse 13, uh, Jesus is uh, going back and forth with the Pharisees. And he's made the claim that he is the light of the world. He's the promised Messiah. The words that he speaks are God's who is true, but the Pharisees do not believe his testimony. And he states in verse 31 that if anyone abides in his words, well, uh, he's in a good place. Verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to those uh, Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. 
and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay? So he's speaking of the truth of the gospel, which would set them free from the shackles of sin, the penalty of sin, something even the disciples were not completely clear on until after the resurrection. But he says the truth is what set you free from yourself and the, uh, the unreal things you believe. And during the rest of this conversation, the Pharisees clearly show they do not believe and abide in his word. We get on to verse 40. Jesus says to them, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. So Jesus is the truth. He's been speaking the truth and living the truth. They don't want to believe it, and they want to kill him. And eventually they will have their way. Uh, in verse 42, Jesus goes on to compare them. Now, they were all big on Father Abraham and their relationship to Abraham. That's what the right thing was. That's what the truth is. But in verse 42, he talks about their real father. He says, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Everything in the world that is a lie is from the devil. He never stands in the truth. He does not convey the truth. As we said before, he might pick up a little piece of the truth and he'll help man make a whole falsehood out of it. But he goes on to say uh, in, in these verses that uh, he is a murderer from the beginning. Uh, he does not stand in the truth. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar, the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. So it all comes down to what you're going to believe. Are you going to believe the truth of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, or are you going to believe the lies of men which are all over the place? The whole issue is the gospel. He goes on to say, which of you convicts me of sin? Nobody could convict Christ of sin, not truthfully. And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. <clears throat> so it comes down to what you're going to believe. And John succinctly sums up his whole gospel purpose in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He wrote all these things that people would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Truly, he said these things, and that's his purpose, that they would believe the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. But what do most people do with the truth today? Paul tells us in the book of Romans. So let's flip over there to chapter 1. You're familiar with this, I'm sure. But what do men do? What do most men do? Unfortunately, they suppress the truth. And we find this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And this is, why, this is the reason why God's wrath is upon 
all that's false and untrue. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They hold it down. They push it down. They don't want to listen to it, so they, they, they try to crush it. And that's the reason why they're lost, why they don't come to the truth. God goes, uh, he goes on to explain here, because what may be known of God is manifest or shown to them. For God's shown it to them, and he goes on to show how he's shown it to them in the creation. The first chance you get to go beyond your own belief system is a look at the universe God created. How could that come from nothing? And that's the first step you should be able to take in finding out there is a God, there is truth. And yet, we push it down, and we've got all this evolutionary theory stuff to replace it. So that's what most men do. They suppress the truth. So all religions, all belief systems, political movements, and other imaginations of men are not of the truth unless they stand in relation to God's word, which all of them reject. If they reject the existence of God, the creation of God, the word of God, then they're rejecting God's truth. They're holding it down in defiance. They're trying to replace it with something else. And therefore, they're under the condemnation of God, both now and in the future. But once Christ's truth is believed, which is the step that men need to take, well, then that truth must be lived out. One Bible commentator concluded biblical truth in this way. It starts from the essential nature of God, which we've talked about. It finds its expression in the gospel whereby God saves men, the work of Christ, and it issues in a uh, uh, lived uh, foundation on the truth and showing forth the truth. It's something that has to be lived out. So when we come to Christ for salvation, we're said to be in him, in the truth, 1 John 5.20. We're in him who is true. If the truth is now in us, well, then it's going to be evidenced by action. And this kind of corresponds to the idea of doing the truth. In John 3.21, the Lord said, But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So how do you evidence your faith? Well, you evidence it by a changed life, by doing the truth. And the truth is everything we find in the word of God that is of a righteous nature that we're supposed to be doing. The apostle puts it in the opposite way in 1 John 1, 6, where he says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So if you say you have fellowship, then you need to walk with him. And the Holy Spirit and the word of truth then enable us to do the truth. When Jesus prayed, what did he say would be 
the basis of sanctification, the word of God. Sanctify them by thy truth or in thy truth. Jesus also promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. We won't turn there. We're going to close. But in chapter 14, he mentions sending the Holy Spirit of truth to dwell in his disciples, and later that person will guide them into all truth. The Holy Spirit helps us to walk in the truth, to learn more of the truth, and to live it out in our personal lives. Well, we could say a lot more about the truth of Christ, but may this be an encouragement to us in a day where the, tra- uh, the truth is being trampled upon in every area. The world is in chaos today because people persistently, consistently reject God's truth. And may we thank and praise the Lord that we have his truth today in his word, in his son, and in our souls through his spirit because of our relationship to him. And this truth is a truth that must be proclaimed. Our focus in life shouldn't be on the false out there, the politics, the viruses, the calamities, the movements, or anything else that, that's shifting sand in the world. The truth of Christ must be understood, it must be believed, lived out, and proclaimed until he comes, and that's all that really matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're again thankful today that Jesus Christ is the truth. He was a living embodiment of God who is the truth. And Lord, he was the incarnate word who is uh, firmly implanted in the written word. And we can trust it, we can rely on it, and we pray today that all who are in our congregation would believe the truth and then trust in you to help them live it out in a world that so much needs it today. Bless us now, Lord, as we Uh, Come to the communion table and the fellowship that we have in you in the truth, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.